0: I'm Otto Pensler, and this is The Mysterious Podcast, brought to you by The Mysterious Bookshop, The Mysterious Press, MysteriousPress.com, and Open Road Integrated Media.
1: With us is David Corbett, the author of four novels, two of which, *The Devil's Redhead* and *Done for a Dime*, are now available in ebook formats from MysteriousPress.com. So, thank you for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me. So,
1: how does it feel getting these two books into digital reading formats?
2: It's not just the digital reading format that's a pleasure. It's nice to see them once again having a life. That's part of it, because they're books that I really believed in, and I really enjoy that. You know, the, the first two babies out into the world. But in particular, to be picked up by Mysterious Press is a really honor. I, I, everybody knows that Otto has exceptional taste, and his name carries a lot of weight. And to have been picked by him as part of his backlist is is a real honor, and I'm, I'm humbled and I'm grateful. Do you use an e-reader, or no? Uh, I'm still, it's really, I'm on the fence, because I'm a Mac guy, and yet I always hear that the iPad is not that great a reader. And so they go Kindle, and yet I like the apps on the I And so I've been borrowing other people's and trying them out, and I'm leaning close, close to the iPad, even though it isn't good in sunlight. And, but you've seen my complexion. I'm an Irish boy. You know, I, I'm not out in the sun reading a whole lot anyway. So. Yeah.
1: so you also have a new collection of short stories, Killing Yourself to Survive. Uh, do you have a preference between short stories and novels, and is one easier than the other for you? Our
2: novels are, are immensely easier. I can't think of anything harder than a story. Just to pack that much information and that much of an o- emotional wallop into a story is so hard. Um, and yet, that challenge is what makes them, um, as a writer, you, you have to write stories. They're they're how you really do get better, I think, because novels are far more forgiving, and you can't always go with the more forgiving format.
1: Okay. And uh, you write a lot of standalone work, whereas a lot of crime writers like to pick a character and stick with them. Have you ever considered
2: writing a series? Well, not only have I never written a series, but even though I'm a former P.I., I've never written a P.I. novel. And the reason I never had was because I looked at P.I. novels and realized that they're really not about what P.I.s do. They're really sort of the Western gunmen in an an urban setting. So I just thought, you know, I'd rather either write about the criminals or something else or take a different tack, one sort or another. But now I'm writing a P.I. novel. And this may become part of a series, I don't know. And it, I didn't have any prejudice against it. I just, you know, it was since the first book was uh, sort of self-contained, my editor at the time, Leona Nevler at uh, Ballantine, just said, well, I think I think we've pretty much taken care of Abitangelo. Let's try something else. And I was working on another book anyway, because um, it had been hard to sell Devil's Redhead, because it did have a criminal protagonist, and there were some people who had resisted that. So I was writing a more traditional police procedural at the time. So it just made sense to kind of go with that. Okay. And it seemed like a lot of
1: your books feature male protagonists. Have any of your short stories featured female protagonists?
2: Hmm. They've always had strong women characters. I don't know if they've had female protagonists, though. The new book, the P.I. book, actually, the P.I. is the secondary. He's They're both main characters, but it's actually the girl. He's he's trying to help out a teenage runaway, and she's actually the main character.
1: Oh, okay. Because so, uh, And that was actually my next question, because I'm always very interested in how you know, male writers feel about writing female perspectives and vice versa? You know, how do you feel writing a female, a female voice?
2: Um, Well, there's a great uh, phrase from Coltrane, which is, when there is something you don't understand, you must go humbly to it. And, you know, you can't just presume. Um, And yet, you know that's what your women friends are for. <laughs> you run things by them and say, you know, is this working or not? Actually, I did write a, a comic novel with a, a a female protagonist, and we had the hardest time selling it. I think just because it was so different from what I usually did. Okay. So um, we're still on the stage of trying to find a home for that one.
1: Yeah, and and you've said in the past that you think women
2: make the best private detectives. Oh, absolutely. So why is that? Because well, people talk to them. I it, this. Um, it's the silliest thing, but you can teach someone just about everything in, in PI work except getting someone to talk to you. That's, you've either got that knack or you don't. And uh, as a journalist, you probably know that. I mean, there's some guys who can show up at a door, and they may know all the skills in the world, but if they don't have that weird personal thing where they, you know, when somebody's saying, no, I really don't want to get involved, they can somehow get past that in a convincing way, and in a human way, to get that person to open up. And women just have that. More often than not. I mean, they actually usually have it more often than men. And a lot of guys who come to PI work are cops, and they've had a badge and a gun. It's amazing how many of them don't do well in PI work unless they're doing security or some kind of insurance work, because that authority is so much a part of their ability to get the job done. Whereas PI work is much more like a journalist, where you just kind of show up out of the blue. You say, listen, I need your help. And, um, and see if the person will begin talking to you. And, it's, and, and women have that kind of persistence, they have that kind of empathy, and um, they make great PIs. I've known, I'd say, of all of the investigators I know, it's about six to four on the ones that I think are great that are, that are women.
1: And so now that you're writing a PA, PI novel and you have a background as a PI, does that make it easier or harder? Like is there a, a higher burden of proof because you've, you've been in this world or has it just
2: come to you very naturally? It comes, it, it comes pretty naturally. In fact, it, the PI stuff has actually been fun to write because uh, I know the little, the, the more interesting little nooks and crannies you get into and the, the cases you pick up. And of course you're working you know, in a lot of ways. You're working for the bad guys because you're, you're the investigators for the defense, not for the prosecution. Um, there are, there are ways where you, you still serve justice, and that's, that's what you're always trying to do. You're always after the truth, but you're from a different perspective. And I think that's also one of the reasons why a lot of people shy away from doing real PI stories, unless they do it sort of on a noir edge. But like Mike Conley, you know, when he, he did Mickey with a defense lawyer, but pretty soon Mickey's prosecuting and he's almost doing the Perry Mason, one where the client is innocent kind of thing. And, and it's just because a lot of Americans have a hard time seeing things from the defendant's point of view. And you've got to do it through character. And the P.I. angle I'm taking is that, you know, yeah, they care about their their, uh, clients, but they have no illusions about their innocence or guilt. You know, that's up to a jury. That's not up to them.
1: And just as a quick note, MysteriousPress.com has two more novels available from David Corbett, Blood of Paradise and Do They Know I'm Running.
0: Hi, I'm Otto Penzler, and I'm here with Nelson DeMille. Nelson's new book is The Panther, another book in the great series about John Corey. Nelson, welcome to the afternoon show, our podcast. Thank you, Otto. Nice to have you here. So tell us about your book.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, the book is, as you say, another John Corey book. It's the sixth in the John Corey series. And John Corey is... um, former NYPD homicide detective who was wounded in the line of duty, and uh, took a job with the uh, Federal Joint Terrorist Task Force, which is a real organization, although in my book I call it the Anti-Terrorist Task Force, located uh, lower Manhattan 26 Federal Plaza. And uh, his wife is Special Agent, uh, FBI Agent uh, Kate Mayfield. And uh, John is I say a contract agent and the, and the feds do hire contract agents around the country uh, in major cities because the FBI and the CIA and everybody else in the task force often doesn 't really know the woof and warp of a, of, a, of a particular city, especially a city like New York. And they work with the uh, the NYPD, and uh, you know the goal is the same as as, as anti-terrorism.
0: This is uh, this is an extraordinarily mismatched pair, of uh, of people, although they actually work together, uh, both personally and professionally. Wonderful, John Corey is a renegade, a rebel, uh, kind of a foul mouth uh certainly politically incorrect. Uh and he just makes his own decisions and goes along and does what he thinks is the right thing to do. Whereas Kate as an FBI agent is a lot more restricted and uh winds up rolling her eyes frequently at uh at John's remarks. Uh and this time you've taken them to Yemen. Right. Why?
3: Yemen. You know, the Joint Terrorist Task Force uh, is mostly domestic terrorism. I know people on the on the task force, which is why I began this series with John Corey. Uh, it was little known at the time. I mean, I began this series before nine eleven, Um And now, of course, people who read the papers and are a little bit aware know that the major cities do have a Joint Terrorist Task Force made up of all these people, FBI, CIA, etc., And it's mostly domestic, but they do have a mandate to go overseas, especially the FBI, who's operating more and more overseas these days. And uh, I postulate that, and this is partly based on fact, that one of the masterminds of the USS Cole bombing, which was February 2000, uh, was an American-born Yemeni who went back to his ancestral land. That's who the Panther is. And um, John Corey and Kate Mayfield are sent to Yemen... It's a very hostile place, very very dangerous country, to find the panther and to apprehend the panther, or to eliminate the panther.
0: Preferably so, to eliminate the panther.
3: We you know that where you know that John wants to eliminate the panther, and uh, Kate, of course, you know as you said, she's a little more straight. She wants to, she wants to maybe capture him for intelligence reasons, to you know to be able to interrogate him. But John Corey's solution is a bullet through the head. No trial, no no problem. Yeah.
0: So. Save everybody a lot of time, so, money, exactly. energy. Right. Uh, but Yemen sounds like quite a beautiful country. I think you described it as, if the earth had an anus, it would be located in <laughs> Yemen.
3: Right. That, I think that's the first line of the book, actually. It's, it's well, after, to... that, after, <laughs> the pre- after
0: that prelude where the, uh, the Belgians are
3: killed by <coughs> the right, uh, right, the first line Al-Qaeda. of the book. Right. It's actually chapter two, the that line will probably go down along with it was the best of times and the worst of times is the <laughs> opening line. Uh, it's actually, in some ways, it is a historically beautiful country. It's located, if anybody cares, on the uh, southwest tip of uh, the Arabian Peninsula. Some of it is historically beautiful. And uh, it's an ancient land. It's where the Queen of Sheba supposedly came from, uh, Ethiopia, but also part of her domain was uh, was Yemen, the old Yemen.
0: Also, Noah's Ark was and Noah's supposed Ark to was supposed been... to have been
3: right, and uh, Cain and Abel was supposed to have been killed there. A lot of biblical history may or may not have happened in Yemen, and it was known. It was known and you know talked about in uh, uh, ancient sources. So yeah, it's been there a long time, but it's been a, a, a tortured land. It's always been uh, an upheaval for a variety of reasons I won't even get into. But when Corey gets there, the country is yet again uh, experiencing uh, some kind of a uh well a, a resurgence of the tribal uh, uh powers that really rule most of the countryside. At the same time Al Qaeda is becoming strong. This is historically correct. Yeah. Yemen now is in the civil war and Al Qaeda is very strong. In fact they think if you if you if you believe all of this that Al Qaeda is the uh, Al Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula, which is
0: what they call themselves, is the strongest Al Qaeda group in the entire Middle East. Right. Uh, when I when I as I was reading this book, it's it's quite a long book with a lot of uh, a lot of information, a lot of factual uh, material, in addition to quite a complex plot, a beautifully constructed complex plot. Thank you. But I think I learned way more about Yemen in in a work of fiction that was obviously very well researched by you than I ever would have reading a a, a history. Of Yemen because you you interweave it all the way through and I think I understand the politics better I understand much more about tribal uh, customs and tribal right. warfare than I ever did before and the the uh, the, the power struggles between Al Qaeda the government the tribal warlords right. John Corey keeps saying I want to be a warlord <laughs> <laughs> we all want to be warlords it's it's a it really is a <coughs> fabulous book I I. I Read uh, the, the the previous book, The Lion, which I loved. It seems John Corey is always fighting big cats now. Right, yeah, the, the
3: last one was The Lion, and before that was The Lions game. Uh, John Corey says in the book, you know, if he's told to go find a panther, that he hopes the next one is called Kitty Cat. <laughs> yeah. uh, he's had enough of the big cats. Uh, Yemen yeah, I was, was fascinating to me, and I'm a, you know an old history political science major, and like most authors don't want to really publish their research notes, and Mitch they always... Advised against that, he did massive research, uh, and but if you weave it in in the right way, yeah. uh the the illiterate reader is going to be uh, entertained. You got to be entertained before you are informed. and I think I, I you know, I, I accomplished that when I, when I sent my books in New York or or uh, any place in the continental U.S. with John Corey, we kind of know the place and there's not a lot to say and nothing new you're going to say about New York that anybody cares about. But when you set it in a place that nobody knows about, nobody's even heard of, nobody can locate it on a map, by right. the way, uh, people, uh, I think, are fascinated, especially uh, because they, they, they think they're getting a glimpse, and, and they are getting a glimpse of a society that's really, in many ways, uh, still in a, a different... A different time set. There, It's still a tribal society. Not many of them left in the world. We think of these countries in the Middle East as modern countries, but many of them are subject, you know, to ancient, and, and, and I mean even pre-Islamic customs. And right. Yemen, in many ways, I make this point, is really, uh, they certainly, they're, they are Muslims, but the society itself is a pre-Islamic
0: society. It goes back 3,000 right. years. I just also want to mention, uh, that you you actually wrote a novella in between the lion and the panther, uh, a story called the bookcase, right. which you were kind enough to write specifically for the mysterious bookshop, and we uh, it's a John Corey. Really when he's still a member of the police department. Right. And it's really a detective story rather than a big thriller. Very different from mm-hmm. all the things that you write, much shorter than what you uh, what you normally write. Right. And it's been a tremendous success on Amazon as an as an e book. Yeah, probably the the Corey character. And probably I think
3: uh short stories are coming back. I really think so. Um and people like these mysteries. This is uh you know, People still reading Sherlock Holmes. I, I love them myself. I love the mis—I even love the mystery short story. I love the mystery novels, but uh, it's a challenge. People, the, 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 people think you're stepping down when you—if you're a novelist and you're writing a short story, you're not stepping down at all. I mean, this is a lateral kind of thing. It's a whole different skill, and uh, I find them very challenging. It's, you can't go on too long, and you got to really be succinct. you got to tell this whole story and develop the characters. Do all the stuff you would normally do in a novel in a leisurely pace uh, in a short story. And it, you know, it was amazingly successful and I think partly because of uh, Kindle, what they call the Kindle
0: singles, uh, these short stories are coming back. Mm-hmm. Yep, And uh, I'm delighted about it because I love short stories too. Right. Nelson, thank you so much for spending your time with us. Oh, no. Thank you so much. Good to see you again. That's the end of the show. Thanks for listening, and join us next time on The Mysterious
2: Podcast.